0: Hey, good morning, Fervent Church. I am so excited to be here. My name is Mozart. I serve with the Metro District uh, in the area of church multiplication. Uh, My family and I, we moved here about eight months ago. Um, Yes, I said eight months ago, we moved to New York City from Lincoln, Nebraska, to serve you guys and other churches in our district. A little bit of our background is our family stepped out in faith about five years ago to plant a church and just put our yes on the table to see what Jesus might do Uh, by multiplying churches and disciples of himself. And so uh, we started with eight people in a living room, uh, and that eight people quickly grew to 50 people, then 300 people, 400 people, then 700, then 1,200 over the course of about a year and a half. Uh, And I say the numbers not because I care about the big math and the amount of people sitting in seats, but I say that because those are stories, stories of people that God was writing a cool story for them Uh, He was uh, reaching into their lives. 250 folks got baptized in the midst of that, and three other churches were planted out of that deal. And so when God uh, revealed to us that we might have an opportunity to come out here, uh, that was one of the dreams that we had, is that we'd see the church continue to multiply as it did where we were, uh, but it would continue to basically build on the backs of what you guys have done here, where your church has multiplied into multiple campuses. Uh, we want to see that happen even more and, and beyond that uh, with all of our churches and with yours. And so that's why we're here. Uh, we're living day by day. We live in Manhattan. And so in this neighborhood of Harlem, which is a whole deal in and of itself. But. Man, if you think of it, be praying for our family. Uh, like I said, we're living one day at a time, trying to figure out life uh, and, and what it means to live in the city, what it means to serve the metro district. Um, anyway, you'll hear a lot more about me as we carry on. Uh, today, we're going to journey on in the book of Ruth. Uh, chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking at Naomi and Ruth. They're two women who um, go through a lot of life struggle together. Um, but as we journey through that, you're going to hear a little bit of my story. Uh, but first, if, if you got a Bible, open it up to that. I don't, I don't, if it's digital, physical, however that might be for you, I, I think it would be super helpful if you walk along with me. While you're making your way there, uh, I just want to I I talk to you about something. Uh, Right now, here in the United States, we live in one of the most prosperous times the world's ever seen. Now, I know we're in a pandemic. Uh, People have lost their jobs. People have lost their lives and loved ones and all of that. That all makes perfect sense. Um, And and it's true. But if we really think about it, in the midst of this pandemic, if we were at any other point in history, I think the, the situation would be even more dire. Like, consider this. Right now, you could literally do a FaceTime conversation, like you can talk to somebody face-to-face almost anywhere in the world. Like with the supercomputer that's in your pocket, the phone, you can talk to anybody in the world at any time. Uh, With the phone that you have in your pocket, you can order food without ever talking to a human being. It will show up at your doorstep, and right now they're doing it touchless, which means you don't even have to talk to anybody. Like, it just gets dropped off at your doorstep and, like, like magic, right? Like, not only that, you could take your car, pick somebody up, and drop them off on the way to work and get paid to do it. That's called Uber. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's okay. Uh, or if I asked you the question today, like, hey, what was the score of the other night's game? Well, there was a time period at which when you asked that question, you knew exactly what I was talking about because it was geographically centered. But I could have been talking about the quarterfinals game on Wednesday between Chelsea and FC Porto in the Championship League of Soccer that's going on all the way in Portugal. That's what I could have been talking about. And not only that, you can pick your phone up right up out of your pocket in your seat and go watch that game right now in real time, like on demand, you can open that up and look at it on your phone, we live in one of the most prosperous times the world has ever seen. Now I'm sure the next statement is probably true at almost any point in history, but but I would argue and I think that it's probably more prevalent today than it ever has been. We have this keen ability to avoid or at least distract ourselves from pain and, and, and costs because of our prosperity. Now, now let me, we have the keen ability To distract ourselves from pain and stress and all the things going on in our world and not have to feel it. It's it's this proverbial uh, leprosy kind of deal. So if you're not familiar with leprosy, it was really prevalent in the first century. It was a skin disease that attacked the skin nervous system, which means that if you got cut, you wouldn't feel it. You wouldn't feel the pain of it, but you could still like bleed out all over the place uh, and just not know the reality of what's going on. Leprosy removes the ability to feel pain, which means when it's serious, when that pain is serious, when that hurt is serious... You, you you don't know that it's going on, and so that's that's what we often are doing with pain right now. We we ignore it. We just remove it. We try not to feel it. It sounds like the frozen song, right? Like like conceal it, don't feel it, just let it go, kind of thing. And that's what we try to do with our pain, right? Like we we essentially do a Disney cartoon version uh, with our pain on a daily basis. Uh, We have no pass on that when it comes to the pandemic. We have no pass on that when it comes to the real-life struggles of day-to-day living. We try to avoid pain as often as possible and not try to feel sorrow. In fact, we use this prosperous environment to just avoid and ignore pain altogether. And here's the trouble. Pain is vital to life. Pain helps us know that there's something jacked up about this world. Pain lets us know that there's something not right about the injustice that we see. Pain is is what lets us know that what we're experiencing in this life is traumatizing and we need help. Pain is that thing that drives us and reminds us that we're in desperate need of a real hope. that's, That's what it does in us. And it reminds us that that hope is only found in God. That's what pain is there for. Now, yes, as Jesus followers, man, we we hope for a time when pain doesn't exist, when sorrow is no more. And that is with the king for all of eternity with Jesus. But in the here and now, we need that pain. We need that pain to continue to point us to God and point us to where the areas of pain and distress that need to be healed are. And so as we look at the pain and suffering of Naomi in the book of Ruth, we will see normal people. I mean normal. When you look at Ruth and Naomi, don't think superstars of the Bible. Think average people just like yourself facing grief grief as they journey along with God and his plans and his purposes of hope for them. So look with me at Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. And he and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Don't know why you would name your kids that. It's just one thing that's in the Bible here. That's just what it it is. They were Ephrathites uh, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went in the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These two these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the other one was Ruth. And they lived there for about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion, the sons, died. So that the women, the woman, was left without her two sons and her husband. So the first observation that we see in the first chapter of the book of Ruth is pain is normal. Like our story begins in the day of the judges is what it says. And what that means is it's coming after the book of Judges. So you kind of trace back a little bit of the story. It's kind of shocking that Ruth is even here. Like most theologians, kind of avoid this book altogether because it's, it's it's a weird space. So you're going through the Bible, you're like, man, in Genesis you got the guys like Joseph and Exodus, you got Moses, and then you got you got Joshua in the book of Joshua, and then you get Judges, which gets real weird and violent, um, because you have this cycle of sin and repentance and blessing, and then sin, repentance, blessing with the Israelites, kind of like our own life, right? Um, but then you have the book of Ruth, these average people these women of all things, like in the Bible, like we would usually think that women aren't really highlighted, but they are a lot. Um, And they have this book of average people and it just kind of journey along in their little short story of what's going on in their life. And this comes on the tail end of a really dark era in God's people's story. Um, Like I said, you're coming out of Joshua where he's like, hey, you guys are gonna rebel against God and sure enough, they do. And God continues to try to bring them back to himself and then we find ourselves in Ruth And Naomi's story here as the cycle starts to come to an end so in our story it just said that Naomi and her family moved from Bethlehem which is supposed to be the land of bread but it's in the family so ain't no bread and so they moved to Moab which is a country nearby because man they heard rumors that there was food there because when there's a famine Famine means like your resources are de- depleted, your family's gonna probably die if you don't figure something out. And so this man, Elimelech, moves his family across to another place. Elimelech and his wa- wife, Naomi, their two sons, they are experiencing great and utter trauma. And, and this is, when they move, this is the place that we find that Naomi experienced her first bout with pain. Her first bout with pain, because if, can you imagine the fact that like all of us at some point in our life have to leave a home right whether it's leaving your father and mother or your parents or grandparents or whoever you might have lived with as a kid it's moving out of their place becoming an adult right like there's there, there's a grief that comes with that or, or if you're moving from one home like I did Lincoln Nebraska where all of my connections all my family members all of my friends everything that I've established there and coming to New York City like that is a pain point and the same is true for, Na- for Naomi here she's leaving back behind parents siblings, the land that God had promised them. It wasn't what they had hoped it was, but it was the land that was given to them by God. She's leaving home without any hope or knowledge as to what's gonna be ahead of them. This is a story about a displaced family crossing borders, seeking help, a story of refugees taking risks to survive. Now a number of us don't fit in that category necessarily, but we can relate to the pain and the suffering of leaving a home and going to another place and not knowing exactly how things are going to turn out. So Naomi and her family, they lose their home, and as we read on, their situation gets worse, right? Like her husband dies, now, I don't know about you. Uh, if your spouse dies, that's devastating enough, right? Like it wrecks you emotionally. But in an in a overt patriarchal society like theirs, that's, that's the end game. That's money. Like that's resources. That's their livelihood because he was most likely the only one that made a wage that would feed their family. So she lost income, lost a husband, her sons lost a father. There is just great pain here. Now, there's some uh, theologians and authors that would say that Elimelech died because he had left Bethlehem and disobeyed God. There's no indication here in this story that that's the reality. What we do see, though, here's the reality of what we do see in Elimelech's story, the husband, is that in a sin-cursed world, death is normal. Like, pain is normal, and death is a cause of some of that pain. That is also normal. And now Naomi, she's far from home. She's got her two boys, no husband, no resources. And so then the story just suddenly transitions, right? It transitions in the place of saying, okay, well, her two sons got married. They found some Moabite women, decided to marry them. So that's a bonus, right? So she's starting to develop a little bit of cushion. Like there's 10 years that go by where she has a little bit of peace. She's, She's able to breathe a little bit, but then tragedy strikes again her two sons then die. I'm just saying, if you watch Hallmark, I don't, but if you do, this story's not gonna be in there because it's real life. Like this is real pain. Pain is normal in real people's lives. When we experience something devastating, we typically are looking for the opportunity to get out, right? Like when COVID hit just over a year ago, What was the first thing that came to mind for a lot of us? How do we hurry up and get back to quote unquote normal? We wanna get out of that thing as quickly as possible and not journey through it. And now we're over a year into this thing and saying, okay, not how do we get out of it as quickly as possible, but man, what's it gonna be like? What are we gonna learn from these circumstances, this pain, this distress, all the things that we've experienced so far? Man, cause it's horrible. Like this is normal stuff, pain and suffering. This is not a happy-go-lucky message. I know, kumbaya on Sunday, right? Like, but this is reality. Life is not a story of nicely tied up bows. While there are good things, there are blessings, there are great seasons, we all have our fair share of drama, fair share of difficulty, pain, and setbacks. So let me let you a little bit into my life. So you don't know my story, but I'm going to give you just a few of my lowlights, Okay. What I mean by that is like the, the low points of the story that, that has been my life. So I grew up in a home where my dad was a drug addict. And what I mean by that is that he would go on three-day binges, sleep for 24 hours, and then we'd rinse and repeat our week. And we, that went on and on and on for, for years. Uh, in fact, I don't know a life that that wasn't true. When I was 11 years old is when I found out that the sickness that they told me about was a drug addiction. And so that just led to me just internalizing some great Deep pain and suffering and the fact that like the person I love, the person that I looked up to, the person that should love me, betrayed me. Now, I'm not indicating that my dad doesn't love me because he has a drug addiction, but as an 11-year-old, you think about the pain and the anguish that comes with that, right? So then I had a kid at 16 years old that has its own set of suffering and pain that comes with that. And then I move on to college. And when I go to college, about a year and a half into college, my grandmother passes away. Now, to know my grandmother, no, she was a part of our family. She was an extended family. She wasn't far off. She was deeply connected with me. And then a year later, because that was a sudden thing, and then a year later, the, the woman who led me to Jesus, the one who kind of discipled me, showed me the Bible, showed me this Jesus, the woman that I chose to marry early on in college dies in a car accident a year later. Now, that happens and wrecks my life, right? And so you're like, when you hear that story, you're like, man, okay, that's a lot, right? That's a lot for anyone's full-out lifetime. That's a lot of grief. That's a lot of pain. And surely... Surely nothing else worse could happen. Enter 2019. In 2019, my other grandmother passed away. I was close with her as well. And then three months after that, after that funeral, my mom gets diagnosed with stage four cancer. So stage four cancer, if you don't know how that stages work, at stage four, they're saying they're going to die. And sure enough, nine months later, my mom passes away, last summer of 2020, in the middle of a pandemic. And just to give you context, because context matters in understanding a story, I'm 35 years old. And so pain and grief, misery, suffering is a a great part of my story. It's not the whole thing. It's not the whole story. But it is a a big part of my experience, and and I know it's a part of yours as well. It's it's normal. It doesn't minimize it to call it normal. It's just a reality. Now, the truth of the matter, though, is, is that God doesn't waste pain. God doesn't waste our pain. He hasn't wasted my pain. I'm not standing here saying, hey, I'm perfect. Everything's great. Now I'm happy-go-lucky, and I'm really excited about all the pain that I've gone through. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that God cares about all of those intimate details of pain. In fact, he feels sorrow in the moments of pain, and he comes alongside us in those things and doesn't waste it. He hasn't wasted it. He's actually been quite fruitful with my pain. He's used it in mighty ways, not only in my own life, but also in the life of others. But the only way that he can do that is if in the midst of that pain, and even as you move on from whatever circumstance or the suffering that might be going on in that, you still have to receive it, grieve it, and then glean from that. Like you have to receive pain. So like I talk talk most of the time already is that we try to push away that pain, but we actually have to receive it, embrace that. But then we also have to grieve it. Like we have to process, deal with, cry through, and and scream about it, whatever it might take to process and grieve that stuff. But then we have to glean from it. We have to say, man, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in others? How do you want to use that pain that I'm going through right now? Okay, so we see that pain is normal. It happens. It's a part of life. Let's move on to our story. Verse 6-7 through Then she arose and her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for she had heard that the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So they're talking about Bethlehem. The fact that food is starting to... Things are getting better in Bethlehem. So she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, our second observation as we're looking at this is that pain is normal, but how do you respond poorly, right? So we're looking at normal individuals in our story, which means that they're going to respond poorly just like we do. So Naomi hears of a famine. It's over in Bethlehem. So she's, she's headed back home, and for the very first time in this entire book, God is mentioned. I don't know about you, but it's kind of weird that God is not mentioned in the Bible, in in a story in the Bible, but he's actually rarely mentioned throughout this. And, And here's what I want you to key in on with that. What this is displaying is the fact that God is intimately involved in all of the interplay of your life and not simply the big highlights, the big moments of parting the Red Sea, setting the captives free, uh, the resurrection story, all good and beautiful things, but God on a regular basis is invested. He's in the midst of every single aspect of your life in all of the interplay of your story. And like you and I, in, in the author of Ruth doesn't know how God is exactly at work, but what we're starting to see is as their story plays along, he's intimately in the details and the events and circumstances of their life. The only thing we know is that God is good and that he works all things according to his good purposes for his people. Now pause for a second. I need to make a side note there. What I was just quoting was essentially Romans 8.28, right? For we know that God is good and, and that God works all things according to the purpose of the people that love him, right? Like, like all of that is true, but don't say that to someone who's in the middle of grief and pain. Uh, what a friend of mine put me onto. he says, don't Jesus juke it. I probably need to clarify some, phrases, some, some framework for that, okay? So a juke is a football term. When a guy has a football or a gal and they're running down the field and a would-be tackler is coming and they avoid that tackle, that's called the juke. And what we do oftentimes when somebody's in pain is we try to Jesus juke that pain for them. And what I mean by that is, man, you're in pain. I'm so sorry, bro. Here's a Christian platitude. Here's a Bible verse to fix your pain so everything's okay. All I'm saying right now, don't do it. It's not helpful. It's actually super painful because what we're doing is we'd rather throw those things out than use our time, our empathy, and our silence to love those people in those moments. Because here's the thing, Christian, follower of Jesus, you have the very presence of God in you. Like he, God lives in you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. So when you put your body next to somebody, when you get on a Zoom call, when you make a phone call, whatever it takes to get near to them, you're literally bringing the presence of God to them. What more could they need than you and the presence of God with them than your words or your Christian platitudes? They need you. They need the presence of God. That's just a side note. Don't do it. So here's the two ways in our text, what we see in the story as it plays out, the two ways that we typically respond poorly in the moments of our grief, in the moments of our own pain. Number one, we push people away. Naomi can, can now go home and she's headed in that direction. And as our story plays on, she's like, "Nah, y'all need to go back to where you're from. All she can do is go back home where she's from, where her family is, and not invite the women with her. So here's what she says. Naomi and her two daughters-in-law are headed on their way, and, and here's what it says in verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. You see that? She, the two people that love her, that have been with her for at least 10 years, she's saying, go back home, take care of yourself. She's pushing them out the door and they're, they're actually the two people in her life right now that could probably be the most helpful. But yet sometimes when we're in the midst of pain, we're just so afraid to be near people, to, to have positive things on our, in our life. I mean, can you imagine Ruth though? Like she's lost her country. She's lost extended family. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And to her, it may seem like God is just cursing her. And we, 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 under, we can resonate with that. Sometimes it feels like things just keep piling on. And so why would I invite somebody into my party? It's a losing game. We think it's better to be in pain alone than to drag others into it. And Naomi, like us, is good at justifying it. She's so good at like just justifying the pushing of people away, which gets me to my second, second place that we go unhealthy is we can ignore it by trying to care for others. Oh, this is so good. In verse 11 through 13, after her daughters, daughters-in-law hear this, this message from her, hey, y'all need to go back home, she's like, she, they're like, no, we're not going home. We're going to stay with you. And she's like, no, it's not even reasonable. She gets super practical and is like, okay, I'm old, which means even if I do remarry and have some more sons, you won't be able to marry them. So in their day and age, that's kind of the common practice. The wife would basically go to the next brother or whatnot that, that they had in order for them to have a livelihood. But she's like, look, my kid's gonna be 10 years old when you're 50, it ain't gonna work out, right? She's like, if you go back home, I can't go with you because no Moabite's gonna marry an Israelite. You go back home, you're young, you're beautiful, go and find a new husband, go back with your family, they love you there. She gets super practical, right? And in tragedy, we often look out for others in order to medicate or even avoid our own grief, right? Like, I've been in these moments, I've been in these moments where I'm with friends, family members that are close to me. We're processing grief. We're talking through the next steps. And instantly, in a moment, they're like, so Mo, how are things going with you, man? Like, I heard that you had some things going on in your story. And hear me. I get it. I completely get it. Because sometimes, sometimes in the moment of your grief, in the, in the moments of your stress or distress, it's good to just think about somebody else's problems. It's good to think about helping somebody else just for a moment to take a breath to say, man, and it makes perfect sense. I think that's perfectly healthy. However, you can't stay there. You have to grieve your own stuff and not use others as an opportunity to ignore your problems. You see, Naomi's story isn't unlike most of ours. When we face head-to-head the common human experience of suffering, pain, and difficulty, We cope by deferring to other people's pain in order to cope with our own. You see that? And what that does, it minimizes what we're going through. It makes what we're going through feel like it's smaller even though it's not. It doesn't leave room for actual good and healthy healing in our hearts and in our lives. So the way we grieve and process, or the way I would say the way we deal with our pain is with people and with God which gets me to the last section of our text. Uh, Look with me, verse 14 through 18. It says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah's on her way out. She's like, all right, you've said enough. I'm on my way out. I'm pretty young. Let me go find somebody in Moab. And then Ruth clings to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and will be, and I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So my final observation here is pain is normal. How do you respond healthily? How do you respond healthily? So is like on her way. Ruth comes up and says, nah, Naomi, I'm sticking with you. She, she gives a decree, a commitment saying, till death do us part. I'm with you through thick and thin. Uh, Ruth has a crazy commitment from Naomi here. So earlier on in the text, uh, it says that th- this word kindly, it says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So this is, this is Naomi talking about Ruth and Orpah and how they've dealt with her and her dead sons and, and all of the, the circumstances around that. They use the word kindly. So the word kindly here, I'm going to get a little nerdy with the Hebrew, okay? Just because it's going to give a point, right? So that word kindly here is chesed. And chesed is much deeper than just being nice to somebody. It's much deeper than saying the right thing. It's the love that God has for us. Ruth is displaying to Naomi in this moment. It's a Hesed love saying, no matter what goes on, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter the circumstance, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to be there with you. That's the kind of love they're talking about here. Growing up, I would have said this is the ride or die kind of love that they're experiencing. Has said love here is action-oriented. So like, for instance, Ruth never says has said here, but her actions communicate the same godly love that God has for us she's giving to her friend Naomi. Listen, there is no reason that she should feel obligated to love or stick around Naomi at this point. I mean, if you think about it, Naomi's pushing her away, A. Naomi's people, the Israelites, it is putting it super soft to say that they didn't get along with the Moab's. They hated those folks. So she's a Moabite going into Israelite territory. And then her, two, her husband died. And Naomi, in this story, blames her husband's death on God. So like, all, for all intent, there is no reason for Ruth to say this unless she has, A, been filled with the love of God herself, but B, has a deep and utter said unquenchable love for Naomi. Like I said, this is not a Hallmark movie. Uh, in a Hallmark movie, Naomi would have been gushing over the fact that Ruth loved her so much that, that Ruth would display God's love to her, but instead she's like, all right, fine, you can go with me, right? Like that's how the story ends. But, but what, like I said, we're looking at the healthy responses, the healthy needs in the midst of our pain and how we respond to it. And so one of the re- ways that we need to respond in our pain is that we need to move toward those who have a chesed love for us. We need to move in their direction. We need those friends around us. Now, technically, Naomi didn't, did not necessarily move toward Ruth in that way. But what we can know is the fact that like, she has displayed that to Ruth at a different time. Like, The only way that Ruth would know who this God is that has said unconditional, gracious love for her is if Naomi told her. And Naomi shared that with her and displayed that with her life with her as well. So, somewhere in those 10 years, she gave her the keys to the kingdom to, to rule and reign in her life in love and in grace. And so, that's, that's what Naomi gave and invested in Ruth, and now it's coming back to her. And now, now they're a part of this new family. So, not just by blood or by marriage, they're, they're a part of the family of God. And that's why Ruth had this love for Naomi. They're they sisters, they've grown up together now in the faith with God. And because of that, Ruth has the trust in God that Naomi needs. So in the moments we're in this place, we need the family of God to trust God for us when we don't have the trust in us in our pain. You see that? Like we need the family of God to be close to us, to trust God for us when we don't have the energy, the strength to trust God in the midst of our pain. Second healthy way to respond to it is we can go to God with it. So right back in our text in verses 19 through 22, I'm going to read it real quick. So the two of them went on until they came to bethlehem and when they came to bethlehem the whole town was stirred because because of them and the women said is this naomi she said to them do not call me naomi call me mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me i went away full and the lord has brought me back empty why call me naomi when the lord has testified against me and the almighty has brought calamity upon me so naomi returned and ruth the moabite her daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So what we got here, as we saw in the previous section, there was something in Naomi that Ruth had saw that was appealing, right? Her God. Naomi had a relationship with God. We know that because she shared it with Ruth. And she had a deep, intimate relationship with God. And catch this. She had such a deep relationship with God that she could be angry with him. Uh, there's one pastor who says says, "If, if you don't have a God that you can be angry with then you don't have a relationship with the God of the Bible and it's true God can handle your anger your pain the things that well up in you he can handle it now obviously he's not the cause of this but think about her pain that she's going through like the woman lost her husband that is a grievous thing to lose a spouse and not only that there is something that the natural order displays to us, there's something deeply, deeply wrong with losing your children. There's just something messed up about it. And although God isn't to blame for the losses in her life, He can handle the, the anger. He, he can handle the anger and the fact that she's angry with Him because He didn't prevent it. She's ticked off, and He can handle that. Naomi, when speaking to the people of Bethlehem, she said, Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Naomi means pleasant she's like nah call me bitter because that's where I'm at right now but but key into this she says the almighty the El Shaddai is the Hebrew word there the almighty all-powerful God you see she's not neglecting God by being angry she's not neglecting God by being bitter or being in the midst of her own pain no 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 she didn't lose faith She's not giving up on God. She's not denying God. In fact, she's just ticked off at him. She's angry at him. She's actually showing more faith in him than anything. She's not being unfaithful. She's being faithful and honest with her God. She has a real relationship with him. She hasn't abandoned God. She's just experiencing life with God. I mean, don't you have relationships where you guys get angry with each other? You get mad at somebody, or or you just get frustrated, like, why is this happening? And you have to work through those tensions. And we know this, we know that she doesn't depart from God, because later on in the next chapter, she tells Boaz that, man, I don't give you credit for the blessing here, I give the Lord, the Lord who has shown me, remember, kindness, has said, has not forsaken the living and the dead, that's uh, chapter 2, verse 20. You see, it's hard to see why or how sometimes, but we can always go to God. We can always go directly to Him. Naomi hadn't reached that point in our story. However, when we're in the midst of pain and suffering, we got to get there. And I just, I want to confess right here, right now. When my mom died last summer, it took a long time for me to actually go to God. In fact, I, I don't know that, I, that Him and I really reconnected except for maybe a few months back. And even now, it's hard. It's hard to re-engage. I've been hurt deeply. I still have deep wounds and pain. I miss my mom. It's hard. And yet I know he's there. I I know that he's not going to waste this. But it's still hard. And so I want to confess that. it, It is hard, but we have to arrive at some point at being at his feet and coming to him with the pain, with the grief, with the sorrow, all of it, the anger, he can take it. We must get to God in honesty with God so that God might heal only the way that he knows how to heal. Grief is a part of the healing process of life. And God wants to be there with you in the midst of your grief. So when you're looking at this story, like I said, Ruth and Naomi are normal. They're regular people journeying along in life with God and with each other. And so you're not going to hear them necessarily on this list of heroes. So, for instance, in Hebrews, they have a book of, of people of faith and faith heroes. But I can just tell you this. They're, they're heroes in their own right for us because they display real humanity and real life stuff. And and not because they did anything extraordinary, quite frankly. No, what they did was, in their ordinary life of pain and suffering, they kept faith in God despite their circumstances and some of the worst of circumstances. Because of Naomi's faith in God and her sharing that with Ruth, what we do find is that Ruth, a Moabite, a foreigner, a woman of all things, shows up in the genealogy, the family line of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, you didn't know that, but I was going to get to Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Like we have to get to Jesus because he's just as much a part of this story. You see, the Jesus who went through the same different pains, but deep pains of suffering and sorrow over our sin on the cross, he died a sorrowful death. So not only does he experience the pain of our own sorrows, but he's experienced sorrow within himself. When God, the Father, turns his face away because our sin rested on him on the cross... That was a deep suffering and sorrow. What we just celebrated last weekend with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the celebration, that's the healing. We got to see the miracle happen, but that in between was suffering and sorrow. You see that Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension is the hope that we can continue to be reminded of in the midst of our pain and suffering that's that's why pain is normal it brings us to God it brings us to Jesus himself who not only has experienced pain but empathizes and understands our pain and is the cause of the healing he is the source of healing to our souls he's the source of healing to our broken hearts I don't know about you, but that's what I need to hear every morning. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while or even a short period of time, the gospel, the message, the, Jesus, the person of Jesus himself, we have to continue to cling to him. It's not a once I pray to prayer and I move on. It's a consistent, ongoing, every intimate detail of interplay of your life. God wants to be a part of that. And we have to come to him, come to Jesus in that. Now for you in the room, whether you're at home in your living room, sitting in a coffee shop listening to this, if it's in your earbuds, wherever that is, if, man, if you have not began a relationship with Jesus, can I encourage that for you? Can I say, man, I've experienced in the pain in the sorrow of my life, I've experienced the said the deep, unconditional love and favor of God in my life. I can stand here today, a broken human being saying, yes, i sinned against God. I know that I have. I know that I've turned my back on God in my past. But I also know that he, that he comes toward me. He moved toward me, and, and today he's moving toward you. He's telling you that he can be your healer both of your emotions, both of, of your, your pain that you've been through, but then also of your soul. You can spend all of eternity, all of the rest of your life with a person that you know for sure, for certain, has an hased love for you. And all you have to do is turn your life over. Surrender it to him. And he's not asking for anything in return. No, no, no. That sin that you did, that thing that you did, that thing that you, that you haven't told anybody yet, nah, he's got grace for that. That's what Jesus died for. That thing that, that, that keeps you awake at night, that stresses you out, that's suffering that pain, he can heal that. I'm not saying that it's going to be instantaneous right now, today, even though he can, but man, he can heal that over time because he will be with you. And then what is also true is that you get to be a part of a family who, who will have folks in it that will display the same kind of chesed love that I've been talking about. And so all you have to do is surrender your life to him and say, Jesus, yes. I know that in my life it hasn't been a reflection of perfection. I know that my life hasn't been marked by godliness or holiness or goodness always. But I know that you can redeem that. And so what I would ask you to do, if you, if you haven't asked Jesus into your life yet, I want, I want to encourage you to do that right now. And I'll pray with you, and you pray with me. And, and the prayer doesn't have any kind of magical thing that does it. What it is, is an acknowledgement in your heart and in your mind that you trust that Jesus really did die the death that we all deserve, and he really did raise from the grave so that we might be in relationship with God for all of eternity. That's what you're acknowledging in this prayer. So I want to encourage you today to do that. I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to pray for everyone, but then I'm also going to specifically pray for you, uh, the person who says, man, I've never done that before. Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you that, um, that although pain is normal, suffering is normal. It's not something that you take lightly. It's not something that you minimize or try to push push away or or even try to gloss over with these phrases, but you're in it in the midst of it with us, working to heal, working to love, working to deliver your grace and your blessing in those moments. And so I pray right now for anyone who's going through something right now that's just just heart-wrenching and hard. I pray that you would enter the hard, that you'd enter that pain, that you'd enter that sorrow. And grant them the peace, the peace that can only come from you, the person who would love them unconditionally, no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what happened, that you love them deeply. Let them know that. Put your hand on them now, God, please. And for the person who who doesn't know you yet but wants to enter into this relationship, I want to pray with them and say, Jesus, yes, I, I have lived a life that is separate from you, but I desire a life with you. I confess and acknowledge that my life isn't perfect, but you were on my behalf. You were the substitute for me to be perfect so that I might enter the presence of God. And so I pray to that end and acknowledge in my heart and in my mind that Jesus really did go to the cross to bury my sin. So that I might not only have forgiveness, but that he might raise from the grave and grant me new life in relationship with him. God, please bring about the salvation and Holy Spirit, please dwell in those people right now as they acknowledge your presence, acknowledge the victory that we have in King Jesus. And I thank you that that victory is not just for today, it's not just for the moment of prayer and salvation, but it's for every single day of our life that we get to journey along with you, God, because you care deeply about every single moment of every single day of our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all those things. Amen.